0: Welcome to the BizTimes MKE podcast and our weekly debrief. I'm BizTimes Associate Editor Arthur Thomas, and I'm joined on this week's episode by BizTimes Editor Andrew Wyland. Andrew, how are you doing?
1: All right. It's been another busy week, but uh, we're, we're grinding away and getting her done.
0: Definitely. Before we get into our insider spotlight and our big story of the week, want to highlight a few upcoming BizTimes events. The first is coming up on November 5th. It's our annual Nonprofit Excellence Awards program, highlighting people uh, in the nonprofit community doing great work, corporations that are in people in the corporate sector that are contributing to nonprofits. And we'll also have a great panel on uh, workforce solutions that work Um, kind of nonprofits and corporations that are are working together. I know Lauren Anderson, um, our other associate editor, uh, is going to be leading two great discussions on that. And then on November 18th, we'll have our annual commercial real estate event. Um, That's going to have a great focus, Uh, one panel focusing on the office market, the other focusing on development hotspots in Southeastern Wisconsin. So that one should be a great one to attend as well. And then we're also looking for award nominees uh, in areas of entrepreneurship and innovation for our annual um, it's a Entrepreneurship Innovation Forum. Um, you may have previously thought of this as our Bravo IQ Awards. This year it's uh, got a new name and uh, we're looking to nominate or have some awards for people in the entrepreneurship and innovation space. So if that fits you or you know someone that fits, um, look for information about that, uh, biztimes.com. You can find more about these events at biztimes.com annual-events. With that, we'll turn to our Insider Story Spotlight, an opportunity for us to highlight some of the insider-only stories. These are stories that are available only to subscribers of biztimes.com. If you are a subscriber, thank you very much for your support. We appreciate it. It helps make our work possible. If you're not a subscriber, it's really easy to sign up. Uh, go to biztimes.com, click the subscribe button at the top of the page. It costs the equivalent of $8 a month to support our work, so we appreciate it. So, Andrew, uh, insider-only spotlight story for you this week. What is it?
1: The one I've chosen is about uh, numerous affordable housing projects in the area being awarded um, funding from the Federal Home Loan Bank. 33 housing projects uh, in the state are, are getting these funds, including um, several in the Milwaukee area. Um, one one of real note is in Bayview. It's the Filer and Stoll redevelopment. I think I'm pronouncing that right. It's a Kenosha-based uh, bear development is redeveloping this big um, abandoned manufacturing complex southeast of First and Beecher. In Bayview, um, looking to put 300 apartments in there. That's going to be a huge project that's in an area where there's a lot going on between Bayview and Walker's Point. Um, so that's going to be significant to see that going forward. And, you know, it's a, a massive site that needs to be um, revitalized. Mm-hmm. So it's good to see, you know, financing coming forward for that. Um, others, um, there's a project on water street called 1887 on water done being done by rural enterprises, getting funding. Um, 79 units in that project. There's also an interesting project on King Drive, five points Loft, five points lofts, which is also receiving uh, funding. That one's getting 690,000, 1887 on water. is getting 900,000. Um, so, 900,000 as well for the father and stole project. So mm-hmm. um, certainly affordable housing is a constant issue in Milwaukee um, and so to see several of these projects going forward um, is good for me and that affordable housing need and will provide an important boost for uh, each of these neighborhoods where where this occurs.
0: Definitely you know we get so much attention on The, uh, you know, kind of more upscale apartment developments and things like that, but, you know, kind of backbone of the city. And uh, when we talk about population challenges and things like that, um, you know, having housing for the full range of of price points and things. Um, Speaking of housing challenges, uh, my Insider Spotlight story touches on that as well. It's a story I wrote in the latest issue of Biz Times Milwaukee or Magazine. Uh, it looks at job growth in Kenosha County, which if you've driven down I-94, uh, you know there's a lot of development of different uh, industrial buildings along there. Their job growth over the last decade has been um, you know, booming. I think it's up about 36% um, private sector employment. Uh, their population growth, on the other hand, uh, not so much. Um, it's a little less than 2% growth in their population. Which is a big, big gap. Um, so I dug into kind of, you know, why is that? Or, you know, you'd think that the one of the fastest growing job markets in the state would also be seeing, you know, strong population growth. Um, but they are running into, you know, they have housing stock challenges. There's some chance that, you know, they're kind of reversing some commuting trends. So people who used to work outside the county are now be working inside the county things like that. So it was a really interesting look. Um, and we also have a, a chart in the, um, in the issue kind of comparing Kenosha County, or city of Kenosha specifically, to uh, other Midwestern cities of a similar size. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see the other ones that are on that list uh, around, I think we, we said 80 to 120,000 people as of 2010. Um, and that brings in You know, like in Ann Arbor, Michigan, it brings in a Gary, Indiana, it brings in South Bend, Indiana, Rochester, Minnesota. Um, So you have some industrial towns, some college towns, different things like that. So definitely interesting thing to look at. With that, we'll um, maybe turn to our big story of the week, which is really more than a single big story. And it's more than just one week um, when it comes to the story, uh, talking about um, the supply chain challenges that are hitting, comp- you know, every company. It seems. Um, I joked at our manufacturing event that it's not just toilet paper anymore. Um, it's you know, semiconductors. It's raw materials. It's the logistics to get things from A to B. All of those different things. Um, so, Andrew, what's as we've kind of been covering the supply chain challenges? What do you? What's what stands out to you? What's the you when? Know, why? Why should we care about this beyond, you know, yeah, I mean, it matters for each individual company, but why does it matter uh, for the broader region?
1: Oh, boy. Well, um, you know, it, it, it's a massive challenge for the economy uh, as a whole, of course. And it's, you know, we're, we hear so much about inflation uh, as a major challenge, and that's directly tied to the supply chain problems. So, um, you know, and it's becoming a big political issue as well. Um, So it's not just, it's, 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 it's obviously affecting retailers. It's obviously affecting manufacturers and, you know, transportation logistics side of things. Like you say, it's, it's touching all, all areas of the economy almost. I'm sure it's impacting real estate development as well. Uh, Obviously prices of construction materials. I know we saw lumber spike and come back, but I mean, inflation is going to touch all these things. So and the supply chain—it's like they're joined at the hip. These issues, mm-hmm. so um, you know, it's it, it's a it's a it's a challenging mess right now. As we've seen, an economy that went from basically shut down last year to then restarted, and so demand demand was turned off like a faucet. Then all of a sudden, it was turned on like a fire hose, and a lot of pent up demand coming into the into the in, into the picture and just supply hasn't been able to keep up and there's all kinds of issues in terms of the logistics but also the labor force the fact that labor force hasn't really recovered you know to actually serve the supply chain is causing a big part of the problem so it's a complicated problem and uh, there's a lot of political fallout to it getting thrown around and uh and we're all feeling it in a lot of different areas.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that's so, you know, we're kind of in right now earnings season for all of the, the public companies. And so as, you know, all of the, you know, the Harley Davidsons, the um, Snap-on, A.O. Smith, Strat Tech, um, all Brad, Badger Meter. As these companies have been reporting their earnings, you know, I've been really interested to see and listen to their earnings calls and kind of look for you know what are they saying about the supply chain issue. You mentioned it's it's so political, but when you get kind of down into the, you know the individual company level, you can kind of get more of a, okay, you know how are you dealing with this? What are you doing to overcome it? Um, how you know does it affect your your business strategy going forward? Um, we had the the monthly um, report on manufacturing from uh, Marquette University that kind of gauges. How the manufacturing sector is doing, um, and that slowed, you know, grow. It's still growing um, for October, but it definitely slowed down. Um, and the things that they're talking about: uh, rising material prices, rising shipping costs, product and labor shortages, um, different things like that. You know, problems with lead times. So it's been interesting to see, you know, companies, uh, you know, had everything from Snap-on, when they reported earnings, said. You know, well, you know, we think our business model kind of protects us from these supply chain challenges. Um, part of it is, you know, you're, you're probably pretty loyal to the Snap on brand if you're using it. Um, or if you're not using it, you're loyal to a different brand. So the idea that you would go, you know, well, Snap on's not available, so I'm going to go with the other one, you know, unless you really need it, um, you're probably not making that switch. You want to kind of keep it all in the family. Um, they also talked about being very vertically integrated. That they uh, raw material comes in the back of the plant and finished product goes out, um, versus sourcing a lot of components. So they felt that helps them. They talked about having shorter supply chains. Um, so sourcing some of their you know computer chips from in the U.S., sourcing steel from in the U.S. That saves you a little bit. You know, takes out a variable of you know, some, an international border being closed and limiting your ability to, you know, send things. So that's on one end where they, they're they feeling, you know, pretty decent around the supply chain issues. And then you look at a company like Stratech, which makes um, locks and vehicle access and tailgate type things for the automotive industry. And here you have a company where their customers, you know, are Ford, GM, Chrysler, you know, the big automakers and their customers are literally just shutting down production. Um, I talked with Frank Krejci, CEO over at Stratech. And he said at one point in September, GM had 10 of their 16 North American plants shut down. Um, so that's, you know, a big group of your customers that are not not taking delivery. They have had an interesting approach. They said, you know, I asked him, well, what do you do when a customer tells you, Hey, we're going to be shut down. And he said, well, you know, if I wasn't looking long-term, I would tell all my suppliers, hey, don't ship next week. But that's not what I'm doing. I'm telling my suppliers, go ahead, still ship. I don't want to pass this problem along to you. He wants to maintain that relationship with his suppliers so that they keep serving him well going forward. He doesn't want to you know, cause a problem for them. They end up serving someone else. Then when he does need the product, it doesn't come to them. Um, so that's one thing. They're building up inventories. He said they kind of are looking at it and thinking, mm, maybe we were running a little thin on inventories before. We were going a little too, you know, too just in time uh, with our inventory. If kind of finding they can save some costs by consolidating some shipments if they uh, have a little more in inventory. And then they're also using this as an opportunity to kind of look at their manufacturing plants and say, you know, how can we streamline things? How can we do things better Frank talked about, you know, when you bring in a new piece of equipment, you don't always end up putting it in the ideal spot because, you know, maybe there's something in the ideal spot already, or maybe you just can't slow down production to, to make it work. So you just find the second best spot. Well, you do that for a bunch of years and suddenly you got a pretty inefficient layout when you've, you know, put things in the second best spot every time. So they're using this as an opportunity to take on some of the projects, to reorganize things in the plants which is an interesting element. Um, and he said, you can, you know, with with the shutdowns that their customers are having, they can take things that might've taken them six months and and take care of them in a month or maybe a few weeks. So definitely interesting approach there. Other ones that have been interesting, you know, we heard from Zern water solutions, which used to be Rex Rexnord until actually earlier in October, they changed their name following a big uh, spinoff of, part of their business, but Zern, you know, said they had plans to import around 900 containers from suppliers outside the U.S. um, in the third quarter and about 50 of those got delayed, which, you know, considering all the stories we were hearing about the supply chain challenges at the ports and things, I was kind of a little surprised that it was 50 was the number. I was expecting it to be, I don't know, maybe hundred, something more, Um, but when you think about all the components that are in that, you know, okay, I guess it makes sense. They said, you know, a handful of those were because of shutdowns at international ports. So other countries had, you know, COVID outbreaks and shutdown and things couldn't get out of the port. About 25 were issues where there weren't drivers or there weren't trailers once the port, the containers got into the U.S. to kind of get the get the product out to Zern's facilities. Uh, and there was a, a handful that were kind of a more specific um, issue with uh, the kind of break bulk solution they were using. So you know, interesting to kind of actually hear it in terms of how many containers you know that it this applies. And you know, they said their business grew about five percent, but had about half those containers not had this issue, they would have been up nine or ten percent. So. You know, that's, that's real dollars. I think it worked out to like an eight to $8 million to $10 million missed opportunity for them mm. um, over the course of the quarter. Now, maybe they catch that up later, but still, you know, you're losing it. Uh, at the same time, they would said, you know, we don't think we're going to massively remake our supply chain, you know, as a result of this. They've done work over the years to diversify their supply chain, have it, you know, be more redundant. So there's lots of, you know, different suppliers that could source things from, Things like that. Other interesting ones that we heard, you know, Harley-Davidson kind of gave us a real detailed breakdown of, you know, where the, the increased costs are coming from for them. I mean, this is a company that spends about $3 billion annually on its cost of sales. Um, and they the biggest chunk of that comes in materials and, and components. And they started off the year, you know, 2 to 3% increases in prices that they were dealing with year over year. And then that's climbed to um, six to 7% now in the third quarter. Um, So this is things like, you know, the raw material for the bikes, but also the infotainment systems, brake systems, lighting, mufflers. So that's one area of price you're increasing. Then you look at, you know, we hear so much about the labor situation. Um, Manufacturing costs for them, a little more steady, 2% increase in the first quarter. It's been 3%. um, So they're not hitting, getting hit quite as hard on the wage cost front there. But the logistics side of this seems to be the, the really big you know, um, issue now, the freight and warehousing for things. It was up about 50% in the first quarter, up 2.5 times in the second quarter, and now up two times in the um, third, and that's what they're expecting for the fourth quarter. So the logistics side of it is really where the, the issues are hitting um, hard for them. And then finally, uh, Badger Meter, another company that's got you know slightly higher inventory levels it was interesting what their CEO Ken Bockhorst had to say. He basically, said, you know, the playbook here isn't new. It isn't different. How we get through this isn't too different from previous issues. Maybe the breadth of the challenge we're facing on supply chain is different, but you know, he was talking up his employees for, you know, working with customers to manage what the priorities and expectations are, redesigning some parts to provide, you know, more sourcing flexibility. Um, which is actually something uh, Todd Adams at, at Zern talked about. They have a part uh, product that they sell that's like 75 percent lighter than the the competition one, which you know means less material in it. Well, for one, that's good you know long term as a a uh, you can price it lower, you're not putting as much into it, but just on shipping costs if you're 75 percent lighter, you know, it's cheaper to ship it, ideally. Other things Ken talked about which just kind of continually, you know, managing the logistics and collaborating and you know, there's lots of communication to get through these things. And their CFO was saying, you know, this is a lot of work and, you know, their, their analysts were asking them, like, can you quantify the, the, the productivity loss that you're facing? And he said, well, it's not really just like straight, like, oh, we couldn't run, but it's this kind of opportunity cost then kind of, you know, described like a, like a dog paddling underwater of trying to to reorganize things and figure out, you know, how can we get our production, you know, what, what can we produce and, and how can we get things done? So, which kind of leads me ultimately to something Steve Richmond, the, the president at Milwaukee tool said um, at our manufacturing event a couple of weeks ago. And we were asked him about the, you know, how are you managing through the supply chain thing? And he's talking about, you know, his team being on these global calls and different things and the need for, You know the leaders at Milwaukee Tool to step in and tell their you know their supply chain folks like, look, you got to take a day. You can't be you know on a call global call at you know eleven o'clock at night. You can't be you know run yourself ragged. And the need for leaders to kind of help people navigate through the the challenges with the supply chain. So you know a lot of stuff there, but it's you know this is all stuff that's come out of the earnings calls that we've had over the last week or two. And lots of interesting pieces of how these companies are
1: navigating through their supply chain issues. Yeah, it's it's complicated, and it's being addressed on a number of fronts. You know, by businesses on the front line, um, and I think it it shows that necessity is the mother of invention. Maybe I mean there there's there's a need to for. Our, our, manufacturers or whatnot are gonna to have to find ways to improve their operations to address the problem. It's just uh, the nature of the beast. I, I thought it was really interesting to hear discussion, I think it was Stratech talking about um, inventory levels. That stood out to me as interesting. Um, you know, it could be a real cultural shift in terms of going from just in time to maybe we need to really have higher levels of inventory to be able to absorb these shocks in you know that the supply chain isn't necessarily as reliable as it's always been and then i think you know if you think bigger picture is almost you know you get into the whole issue of how dependent our economy is on international trade and particularly china and relying on goods coming into the country coming in through the west coast We're seeing ports on the West coast, you know, overwhelmed right now, particularly Los Angeles area with these container ships floating out in the ocean, waiting to come in and be unloaded. And, you know, the move that uh, Biden pushed forward, I guess, made some kind of deal with Port of Los Angeles and the longshoremen there to have operations go 24/7. you know, will probably help. But, you know, if you don't have the labor you need to unload the ships in the ports and then drive the trucks to take these products throughout the country, um, that's, you know, that'll help, but it's still not going to solve all the problems. So labor force remains at the heart of a lot of this. And, um, but yeah, it go, like I said, it goes back to kind of our the, the shift we've done over decades, shifting to a global economy and bringing so much of what we've Uh, consume in from overseas I don't know there may be a push to reshore obviously reshoring is sort of a recent trend we saw some of that happening may need to be more reshoring occurring Mm -hmm. um, especially for a state that relies so much as as a traditional manufacturing stronghold it could be an opportunity for Wisconsin to assert itself and say hey uh, product needs to be made as much as possible in the United States." And we do that very well here in Wisconsin. And let's let's make more things here. The other thing that strikes me is just, I just think it's such a shame that the port, the Port Milwaukee, isn't utilized more than it is. Um, obviously, because it's on the Great Lakes, it's not the same as being on the West Coast, and we can't get the size of ships coming through the St. Lawrence Seaway that they get there and obviously it'd be a longer trip anyhow, but just kind of the overall system of shipping. And it would be nice if Port Milwaukee could be used more to sort of relieve some of the pressure on the overall system. And would be good for our economy as well. Mm -hmm. I know you've reported on that, on that issue is as well.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's not like a magic bullet or anything, but especially for companies locally, there's, you know, there may be an opportunity for them to find, you know, some, some of their own relief valves uh, through that. It's interesting. We said about, you know, supply chain rising in importance. Um, We'll have a a, a podcast up next week, actually with Buckley Brinkman, Brinkman from the Wisconsin center for manufacturing and productivity. Um, They did a huge survey of Wisconsin manufacturers and uh, supply chains, a big chunk of it. So it was interesting to talk with Buckley. You know, he was, in supply chain with the same level of workforce, which you know, Buckley's been uh, among those you know talking about workforce for a long time. So for him to be putting it in on the same level was was uh, mm-hmm. was interesting. So we'll have that podcast up sometime next week. So look for that. With that, we'll wrap up our weekly debrief podcast. Andrew, thank you for joining me.
1: This is Dan Meyer
0: with BizTimes Media. You've been listening to the BizTimes MKE Podcast. For more business news and insights, be sure to go to biztimes.com and subscribe to any of our daily e-newsletters and our magazine, BizTimes Milwaukee.